Hello, 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 and welcome to my podcast, That Show Fucked Me Up. It is I, the beautiful, the talented, the funny, your host, Mariel Vizcarra. Cue in the applause. What is up, fucked up fam? Welcome, welcome to episode three of Midnight Mass. It's gonna be, it's it's an interesting fucking episode. Shit's about to get really, really real. But before that, let's start with our personal updates. I believe that I mentioned last episode that my friend Terry had reached out and uh, they were like, oh, I heard in one of your Squid Game episodes that you wanna go get Korean uh, food and drink some soju. And then uh, she put the little eyes and I was like, and I put the little eyes too, you know, like through, you know, you know, the eyes, you know, the eyes, like the eyes that's like, mm, you know, so uh, Terry and uh, her roommate, Vicky, Victor, um, we ended up meeting up to go eat Korean barbecue at Convoy and drink fucking soju it was so much fun a little background i know terry and vicky since fucking high school i've probably not seen them since fucking graduation back in june 2014 i haven't seen these individuals in i can't do math i can't do math okay six to eight fucking years eight fucking years but they're amazing amazing people i love them to death we had so much fun like i literally got there around six and i left like after 10. like we were just eating and talking and drinking and reminiscing and not only that but they're friends of the pod they listen to the pod they've always followed me in all of my endeavors all my creative endeavors like they followed the podcast they listen along um i used to for those of you that don't know i used to do youtube videos and yes used to as in past tense i haven't done them in a long uh time where i would go to like restaurants and then do like local restaurants and do reviews on them and i would go with my friend Alyssa. shout out to yaya aka doncha mango and and then we start we like shifted over to cooking videos but you know fucking life dude fucking life if i could dedicate myself a thousand percent to just do creative endeavors i would i fucking would but you know what creative endeavors don't give you fucking money so i have to um get money to be able to do these types of things like podcasting and making videos and fucking writing like i haven't had time to write in so long so if i could i would that's why i'm trying to marry rich i'm trying to marry rich so i could you know um not sign a prenup get all the money in the divorce and then just vibe like i'm just trying to vibe i'm a bare minimum baddie i've said it again i'll say it twice and i'll keep repeating it bare minimum fucking baddie it's okay i embrace it you know all those people that are like if you don't work hard you won't get what you want in life i don't want to work hard <laughs> like if we really think about it i I genuinely started working when I was 13 years old. Genuinely. Like, I don't know what the fuck my mom was trying to teach me. Summers? Never heard of her. I've I've never heard of a summer since I was uh, 13 years old. I would go to work with her. I was doing adult tasks as a child. 
So I worked for a long time. I've been working. I'm thirty. I've been working for half of my fucking life, yo. I'm 26 years old, and I started working at 13. If my math doesn't fucking fail me, that is half of my life, and that is insanity. Wow, wow. Childhood robbed? Maybe. <laughs> I'm gonna sue my parents for emotional damage. Just kidding, mom, dad. I love you. But yes. Again, I think I have ADHD. Like, how how did I get here? I was talking about Terry and Vicky and how in a, we had such an amazing time. We drank three bottles of soju. Uh, we ate all-you-can-eat Korean barbecue. And then afterwards, we were not ready to go home. There was a boba place next door, so we went to go get fucking boba. And it was amazing. And I lived my squid life, my squid life, my squid game fucking fantasy. It was great. It was so much fun. Shout out to both of them. They're the best. They're the realest. They're the baddest. And thank you for hanging out with me. We We've already talked about hanging out again because we should not let eight fucking years go by before we hang out again. No. No, I I already told them if y'all if y'all are out and about in Hillcrest, mm, let me know. I want to go party. Yeet, yeet. Uh, but yeah, update on that. On a not so interesting or fun update, I just started the papaya seed parasite cleanse. I know I'm such a TikTok fucking bear. Uh, what is it called? fucking basic bitch so basically i saw this tiktok that if you eat the papaya seeds it helps you cleanse out all the parasites in your body and i don't know if y'all in your cultures grew up with this but growing up my, like my mom would always like maybe once a year we would do a parasite cleanse but it was like an actual pill that you would take well i think it was like a series of three different pills two or three i don't remember and honestly i haven't done that in probably longer than i've seen terry and vicky <laughs> so i was like bro like what the fuck is living inside of me like i got really shook so i just i just started it so i don't have any updates for you maybe i'll have updates later but okay the people made it seem like the seeds were fucking disgusting and like uh like disgusting well i mean they were but they're you could push through it okay maybe y'all don't like strong flavors but i do but it wasn't that bad it was okay it was not like it, they were delicious the papaya seeds were not delicious the papaya on the other hand and afterwards i made myself like a smoothie with papaya and pineapple and then some oat milk mm. chef's motherfucking kiss yes it was Okay, so I'll have an update for you later if I do continue it. I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I don't. I won't. Who knows? Who knows? I'm here to surprise you. But moving on, pop culture segment. So I was going to call it like a current event segment, but pop culture sounds better. So the Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp trial is still an ongoing thing. It's motherfucking chaos. I don't know. I really don't know. And it's not up to me to know and to see who to believe. Like, everyone's going to have dirt on everyone and everyone's going to have evidence against ev everyone. Maybe it was just a toxic relationship. Maybe it was just a really bad relationship on both ends. I don't know. I have no clue. I don't support anyone. Again, I've talked about this before. Do not. Do not fucking idolize celebrities because celebrities fuck up. Celebrities can also be bad people. Yes, they can. So if you don't idolize anyone, you'll never get hurt. I think we need to unpack that. Because then I just, I, 
If you never love anyone, you'll never get hurt. Oh, what? Talk about commitment issues. Yeah, I have issues. It's okay. It's okay. You know, I accept it. I embrace it. And I'm, am I working? Um, Am I working out those issues? Bitch, I'm barely even working out. How do you think I'm going to work out, work on my issues? No, I'm not working on them. Because if you love me, you love my flaws. Exactly. A thousand percent. Uh, let's see. What else? Courtney motherfucking Kardashian. Now, Courtney Baker? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, just got married. The eldest Kardashian daughter finally got her wedding. Uh, Scott never married her. They had a bunch of children. They never got married because they, they weren't doing the traditional thing. But Miss Kardashian wanted to get married and she found someone that wanted to marry her. Ladies, days, gays. This just comes to show you that the person who really wants you will do what you want them to do. If the person really loves you, they'll show you. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. If someone loves you, they will show you. And if they don't, bye. Bye. Literally, adios. Don't come back. I'll hold the door open for you. Leave. Leave. Speaking of leaving. <laughs> Speaking of fucking leaving. Why are men like that ass? <laughs> Okay, man, this is only for the man. Only for the man because unfortunately, I am attracted to men. Why? That is all I have to say. Why? Why go to therapy? Like I don't need therapy because I'm here talking into a motherfucking mic. Are you talking to a mic? No. Go to fucking therapy. Work through your issues and become a better human being. And don't drag me along while you're trying to figure it out. Like, if you don't want me, that's perfectly fine. Perfectly okay. Just don't string me along. Thank you. Yes. PSA. PSA. And whoever motherfucking hurts me, the fucked up fam has got my back. And I know there's a lot of smart people that listen to this podcast. So be careful. Be motherfucking careful. And yes, that is a motherfucking threat. Moving on. <laughs> uh, accusations of sexual harassment against against Elon, Elon, Elon Musk. I mean, of course. If my perception of man is so low that I think that every man probably has a sexual harassment case or sexual assault case. Every man in power, not every man. Every man in power will abuse their power. And that's just how I think. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. And we'll talk about it. And I'll tell you that you proved me wrong. You could tell me, you could, yeah, you could throw it in my fucking face. I'll be happy. Look, I don't want to be right. I don't want to be fucking right. And now they're saying like, oh, the Democrats are bringing up all this past. If they didn't have a past to bring up, then no one would fucking bring it up. Look, I'm, I'm getting fucking angry. I'm getting angry and we haven't even gotten to the episode where I'm going to get even more angrier. But yes, let me say it again for the people in the back. If someone didn't have a past that they could bring something up from, 
then they're just good people. That's called being a good person. If you don't have any fucking skeletons in the closet, you're a good person. If someone looks hard enough and they find something, that doesn't mean that there's a fucking witch hunt after you. It just means you were a shitty person in your past, bro. You hear that, Elon? You hear that? Exactly. Uh, let's see, the mon- monkeypox virus. Oof, I'm so excited. Look, I just spent two uh, years in hiding. Well, not, well, yeah, I think being in quarantine is basically being in hiding. The monkeypox virus, bring it on, bitch. My immune system is fucking insane right now. It's insanity. I am thrice vaccinized. I already had COVID. Look, I could take it. But yeah, just just be gentle on me. Uh, Monkey virus, if you're listening right now, <laughs> just be fucking gentle. Also, we're on the brink of nuclear war and we're in the brink of fucking collapse. You know, just the usual, just the just living the American dream, just living the American lifestyle. We love it here. We fucking love it here. And that was fucking sarcasm, of course. But moving on two podcast updates i'm recording this episode in the interlude between season four and season five i haven't decided yet if i'm only gonna take one week off but by the time you hear this up you'll probably know if i took one week or two weeks off i don't know i've been a lazy piece of shit like i was supposed to get so much work done this weekend i was supposed to work overtime this weekend i was supposed to i did one thing that i had to do but that's it that's it what's going on astrology baddies what's happening what's in the air right now it's may 23rd if you listen to this and you're an astrology baddie if you're a tarot uh tarot i don't know another word for baddie that starts fucking with a team tarot trophy wife just kidding (laughs) let me know what the fuck is going on what planet is in fucking retrograde why is why do i feel like my life is falling apart even though i know it's not what's happening let me know also melissa i know i always talk about melissa but melissa i love her i mean who wouldn't she's so cool and funny and amazing and she has her podcast called the chatty fox podcast you already know who i'm talking about melissa texted me right now and she was like Ooh, I'm going to go visit my friend in San Diego the weekend of the 4th. What are you going to be doing? Maybe we could hang out and maybe I could come on as a guest for your podcast. And I'm like, girl, say less. Say motherfucking less. So that might be happening soon. Stay tuned. Okay, moving on. Recommendations Corner. I haven't watched any new movies, but Terry and Vicky did recommend me a movie called Old Boy. And there's an American remake. Do not watch the American remake. I haven't watched it yet, but watch the Korean actual movie called Old Boy. Uh, they actually, you know what? They actually gave me a list of fucking movies to watch. Let me see if it's in my notes. Okay. Korean films. The first one that they gave me is Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. It's on Amazon. Uh, Prime, Voodoo, and Tubi. Tubi, Tubi. Old Boy is online on Putlucker. Shiri is spelled... S-H-I-R-I, it's online and Putlucker. Memories of Murders on Hulu, Take Care of My Cat, it's online, Putlucker. The Host is on Tubi, and Okja is on Netflix. So, there is some recommendations from the amazing, my homies, Terry and Vicky. If you watched any of these movies, let me know. 
And I also found a TikToker that shares movies that fucked him up. Uh, his handle on TikTok is called the 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 da <laughs> underscore narrator. So the narrator, and they mentioned the movie called Forgotten on their top twenty list of movies that fucked them up. And Forgotten was number ten, which I had already talked about in previous episodes. It's so good, dude. It is so good, and you never see the twist coming. So also go check out that movie. Um, I also, on Twitter, I've been so active in social media, probably because my life is falling apart. I've been tweeting out of my fucking ass. Do not take me seriously on Twitter. I'd be tweeting, 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 tweeting the dumbest shit. I also watch for, um, I ask for recommendations on uh, female revenge movies or women revenge movies. And this user uh, called underscore employee picks said hard candy. I spit on your grave. Carrie Romeo is bleeding prom night and the craft. So now I have a couple movies to watch about female revenge uh, themes. And I'm so excited. Look, I'm here for women's revenge and women's revenge only. Uh, Because yeah, because exactly. Yeah, why not? And I also got some from, like, my actual followers, so, like, friends that I actually know. Uh, someone said, John Tucker must die. Uh, Cynthia, who is also friends with the Chatty Fox Pod, mentioned Gone Girl. And, of course, I love Gone Girl. I've already talked about Gone Girl. Gone Girl and I already mentioned how it should be a comedy. Imagine La- Gone Girl with a laugh track. Amazing. Iconic. It is already so fucking funny. Melissa. Again, Melissa. I love you. Promising Young Woman. Holy shit, this movie fucked me up so bad. And I've, I already know I've talked about it because I mentioned how it triggered my friend. <laughs> and I already told you, I only watch shit that triggers my fight or flight mode. Yes, I do. And I just noticed that I've been talking for 17 minutes and we haven't even got into the fucking episode. So I'm gonna move it along. Um, Ileana said, girl with the dragon tattoo. Brianna, my friend, my bestie, also said obsessed with Beyonce and Ali Larder. And it has Idris Elba's fine ass. Uh, I'm excited. So, yes, I think that's it for movies, podcasts. I'm almost caught up all the way through with the Ruined podcast. I've listened to a bunch of fucking scary movies. And the last one that fucked me up was called They're Watching. Also, Listening to scary movies has made me even more paranoid. So just don't sneak up on me. Don't sneak up on me because I'll fucking punch a bitch. TV shows. Minx on HBO Max. Nick for New Girl comes out. Mwah. Chef's Kiss. He's a producer for a for porn magazines. And they create the first uh, porn magazine aimed for the female gaze. So we're seeing a bunch of cocks. First episode, I saw more cocks than I ever saw in Game of Thrones. And that is saying a lot. So many penises, so many different sizes, shapes, colors. It was mwah, insightful. Uh, if you're into that type of shit, it's really good. It's funny. It it kind of like it's a commentary also on, you know, women being labeled whores and prudes and stuff like that by what they like and what they don't like and ew sex toys and like you know taboo topics i love it It, this is exactly what i was looking for in tv but it's got into that time 20 minutes in, almost 20 minutes in and we're barely getting started so let's go ahead and do that (laughs) 
All right, episode three of Midnight Mass is called Book Three, Proverbs. The episode opens up with Father Paul entering the church from his chambers, and he's just walking down the aisle, and he stops and fixes the Bible. And then he's about to close the confessional door, but he steps inside, and then we see a close-up of his face inside the confessional, and he says, Bless me, Lord, for I have sinned. And then he rephrases it and says, Bless me, Lord, for I am going to sin. He says, Tomorrow, I'm going to introduce myself to the parish and lie to them about Monsignor Pruer. He continues, lie by omission. I won't tell them that Monsignor Pruer was a lot sicker than, than what they thought when they sent him for his trip. We then start seeing Monsignor Pruitt in Jerusalem just walking around looking dazed and confused. And we get a cameo from the icon himself, Mike Flanagan, as he calls after the Monsignor uh, so he won't fall far, far behind. We then hear Paul's voice say that the Monsignor spent hours lost in Jerusalem the first day and that he was terrified. And we're getting scenes of people in Jerusalem visiting the temples and praying, I guess. And then we see Monsignor Pruitt alone looking around. From Father Paul's voice in the confessional, he says, This wasn't a man lost. No, this was a man's this was a man with advanced dementia, too advanced for the parish even to admit to themselves. A man who had overstayed his allotted time on this earth. I'm not going to tell them any of that. I'll say that he's recovering in a hospital in the mainland. That there's a possibility that he will recover and continue to be the shepherd he has been to them all of these years. I'm going to tell them this lie. For their benefit, so when it starts, they'll be ready for what's to come. For the miracles that are to come. We are back in present day right after Lisa walks up to Father Paul and everyone is hugging and they have tears in their eyes. And then we're seeing uh, we're seeing this from Beverly Keene's perspective. And then she notices that there's something wrong with Father Paul and Father Paul walks out of the church and Beth Keene follows after him. He manages to get inside the rectory and Beth Keene is still following him and we hear him throw up and then we see him coughing up blood. Beth Keen asks if he's all right and if she should call a doctor. And then Beth sees something inside the rectory. And then she turns to look at Father Paul with awe. Cut to Lisa with Dr. Sarah Gunning. And Lisa's mom is saying how it's a miracle as Sarah examines Lisa. Sarah's asking Lisa if she has experienced any new sensations. And Lisa says that only the phantom pains that she had felt before, but nothing new, nothing different. Sarah tells Lisa that she's standing, walking, and that she's very happy for her. She also tells her to use a cane since her muscle development is weak. Uh, the mayor asks if the doctor has seen anything like this before today, and Sarah tells him that she hasn't, but that spinal injuries are tricky, and you never know if, if or when someone is going to recover. The mayor calls it a miracle, a real miracle, like in gospel. Sarah tells Lisa's parents that she recommends that they go to the mainland for some the mainland for some real test, but the mayor is skeptical. Sarah tells them that if they do the test on Lisa and see what cured her, then it could help other people as well. The mayor tells her that they've tried all of the tests and the experiments before, but Dolly, his wife, interrupts him and tells Sarah the truth. They're in debt, way way over their heads. They pay, so uh, Dolly reveals that they pay rent in the house that they used to own and that they, they just bought half of their groceries with an EBT. 
And she mentions how trying to find a cure for their daughter left them half broke. And then donating the other half to the church left them penniless. So not only, not only that they have to use all of their money that they had saved up to help their daughter, which is a no noble cause. It's it's noble. Like your daughter has just gotten fucking shot. And you want to make sure that she lives a semi-normal life. And of course, you're going to put all of your resources into finding a fucking cure. But that amount of resources is just has just been cut in half because you got to give the other half to the fucking church. Oh, my God. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I just screamed into the mic. But again, again, I, I can't make sense of it in my little tiny brain i can't i really really can't i'm so sorry i'm so fucking sorry lisa's mom dolly tells lisa that they're not complaining about like spending the money on her and that she was worth every penny sarah the doctor is still pushing them to get a ct scan or a spinal tap but the mayor tells her that his daughter is walking and that that is miracle enough they leave and then Sarah notices that her mom is not in her usual spot by the window and she hears noise upstairs and she rushes up and asks her mom how she got up there. Sarah's mom says, my room, this is my room. It looks different. And Sarah's panicking because her mom shouldn't be climbing stairs and how she does not know how she's going to get her down. Um, we then see a bunch of families outside of the rectory and they're like, my husband is sick or help my son or shit like that because they're obviously already gotten word about the miraculous recovery of Lisa Scarborough. And, you know, small-minded townspeople thinking that the father can grant them wishes or miracles the same way that he got Lisa to walk. Beth Keen is outside the rectory and tells them that this is not how things work and that they know that. She tells them not to overreact and that God does not seek glory, not like that. And then she has the people pray outside of the rectory. Speaking of not seeking glory, she's praying like she's a fucking saint outside of the rectory, TBH. Then we see Father Paul and Riley having their AA sessions and Father Paul mentions how the fourth step can be the most difficult, which is making amends, I believe. I didn't look it up, but, you know, that always seems like a constant theme. Making amends is always a thing that sends you back. And But Riley is like, oh, are we really not going to talk about it? Father Paul tells him that they can talk about it, and Riley says how the whole town is buzzing about the miracle in St. Patrick's and how he's surprised a news outlet hasn't reached out to do a story on him. Father Paul just tells Riley that this is not about the publicity and how Mayor Wade and his wife Dolly are not looking to exploit their daughter and make this a sensational story. Riley explains that he is a pretty rational guy and how he can wrap his head around a misdiagnosis and how her body could have been slowly healing from a, from like a long time. But the, the only thing that he can't understand is how Father Paul knew that this miracle was going to happen and how he had to know beforehand that she was going to walk because he went up the stairs. And what would have happened if Lisa had not walked? And he asked, he asked Father Paul, what would this town have thought of you? Father Paul tells him that she did walk, so he doesn't have to worry about that. And he says, what are you asking, Riley? And Riley says, I'm asking, how did you know that? 
Father Paul just tells him that he does not have an answer that that is going to satisfy him. And Father Paul just tells him that he felt connected to Lisa in that moment. He could almost feel her voice inside his head. And that is how he knew. But that he knows that that answer is not going to satisfy someone like him. And Riley agrees and says that he supposes that he would want more, a better explanation. Father Paul says, I'll always wish that I could give you more, but that is all I got. Cut to Lisa and her cane walking to school next to Warren. And Warren asks if it hurts her. And she says no. And he asks if she wants him to carry. Uh, he asks her if she wants him to carry her backpack. And she hands it over. And all the townspeople, like the adults, are all staring at her like she's a fucking shiny star. Like they just also saw a fucking ghost. All the children are like walking behind her as she gets to school and then some girls rush towards her and begin asking her question. But Erin, the lovely Miss Green, tells them to let her be. Erin tells Lisa and Warren good morning and they respond back good morning Miss Green. Cut to the Flynn household and Ed and Annie are in their living room and Ed gets up to get a record player and he and a record and he notices that he does not have the back pain that he always has and he's always complaining about he puts the record on the record player and then he takes the book that annie was reading and puts it away and he gets her up to dance annie at annie asks about his back and he says just dance with me and it's honestly such a heartfelt moment and annie gets so excited when ed manages to like pick her up and stroll her around it's so cute it's so cute i love seeing these moments and like couples that you know have been married for so long it just gives me hope that you know there's still some romance around after all those years cut to lisa knocking in warren's window in the middle of the night and then she hopes she shows him that she can twirl around without any um any help and he sneaks out and they ran out together so i hadn't noticed this when i took my notes but you know Ed twirls annie around and then lisa does the same thing for for warren oh my god God, the mirroring. I love it. I fucking love it. I live for it. Then we see Riley making a list of all the people he needs to make amends with. And then he looks over and sees that girl that he killed staring back at him. He leaves his house and he goes over to Aaron's and they just sit together and have some coffee. Then we see Lisa and Warren, Warren in a rowboat and they kiss. Next, we see a church service, and the church is pretty full, like fuller than it's ever been before. And cut to Father Paul taking communion to Mildred, Sarah's mom, and then we see Mildred going up the stairs again and Sarah, like, trying to stop her. So cut to Sheriff Hassan and Ali doing their prayers, and then we see Beth Keen walking around the school with the poison she had used after the dead cat incident, and she puts it back in the storage closet. Next, we see Riley and Father Paul and AA. And all of these scenes are happening in like fast succession, like one after the other. So they're all intercut. And then followed by Joe walking up, uh, waking up in the sheriff's office and the sheriff taking him a coffee and they sit together and drink their coffees. Cut to Lisa and her parents going house to house, taking flyers with Lisa's picture as she stands up. And then we're back at a church and it's even fuller than before. Like it's fucking overcrowded at this point. 
Then we see Father Paul walking down the aisle, and then another scene of Lisa and Warren kissing, and Riley helping Erin build her baby crate, and then this ends with Ed and Annie dancing and laughing and kissing. Cut to Warren refilling the ceremonial wine, and Father Paul enters his chambers and lets him know to fill up the extra cruts this week since there's a lot of people in attendance. Warren asks if they have another bottle for the wine and how he swore they had more, but that he hasn't seen it around recently. And Father Paul dismisses, uh, dismisses him and Uker, who's also there, and tells them that he will take care of it while they go line up so to prepare to like start the, the mass. Uh, Uker and Warren get in position, but then Warren notices that the candle that he uh, walks in carrying is not lit. So he goes back to the chambers and then sees Father Paul using his own flask to fill up the cruets. Cruets? I guess. I don't know what a fucking cruet is. I'm assuming it's like the little bottle. <laughs> During Mass, Father Paul is saying how three weeks ago they began their journey towards rebirth and eternal life. And how it is a hard concept to wrap their mind around, but how that concept is easy for God and that it should also be easy for them. He gets really passionate again and says that God's gifts are as tangible as the ground underneath their feet and how it is a contract and how they can't visualize the rewards promise, promised. He also says that he doesn't have all the answers, but what he does have are the mysteries that God provides. He stops all of a sudden and kind of collects himself and he continues and says that as adults, they tend to dislike mysteries because it makes them uncomfortable. And he, say, he says that it would be wonderful to be a child again and just bend softly over the will of God. He starts stammering a little bit and he apologizes and says that he got a little bit dizzy and that he's feeling tired. He continues despite feeling sick and he just keeps saying that there are more miracles waiting for them in Crockett Island rebirth and second chances and then all of a sudden he faints and someone yells out to call dr gunning cut back to father paul in the confessional like in the beginning of the episode and he's going over something from the bible and he relates it to monsignor pruitt and how he stumbled away from the group and he got lost and confused and he's and when he separated from his group he was starting to die out there when a horrible sandstorm overtook him, and then we see Monsignor Pruitt walking through the sandstorm as the sand scratches him, and then he stumbles into the entrance of a cave, and he goes inside uh, the cave until uh, he goes inside the cave. And then a light opens overheard the confessional, and we're taken back to present day as, as Dr. Sarah Gunning flashes a light into Father Paul's eyes, and Father Paul assures her that he it was just a dizzy spell. Sarah still wants to check his heart, so she puts on her stethoscope, and she mentions that his heart, uh, his heartbeat and fever is elevated, and also mentions that he's dehydrated and that he should let the virus leave his body by taking it slow for the next few days. Father Paul tells Sarah that she's a comfort to the to the people of Crockett Island, and he says, I'm proud of you. Beverly serves Father Paul some water, and she makes him drink it, and she says that she's canceling all of his afternoon appointments. Father Paul objects, but Bev tells him that he needs the rest and that he will get it. Cut to Sheriff Hassan in his house, and he calls out to Ali that lunch is ready, and he notices that Ali has a Bible inside of his school bag. 
We then see Joe inside his motorhome, and he's just vibing, and then we hear someone knocking on the door, and he tries to ignore it at first, but the knocking is persistent, and Joe finally gets up and angrily answers the door, and he's shocked by the person on the other side of the door. Joe looks scared, frightened even, and in walks Lisa. And she says hello to him and begins walking around his mobile home. And she turns off the TV as Joe just stares at her, shocked and quiet. She looks at the guns that he has hanging and asks if one of them was the one. He says that it wasn't. And she says that she wants to see the gun that he shot her with if he has it there. Joe tells Lisa that he threw that gun out into the bay right after the accident happened and how he couldn't look at it anymore. Lisa goes on. This is exactly how I pictured it. So here it goes. I was walking with my dad and we weren't, we weren't going anywhere special. It's just something we did. It's when we would, we would talk the most, when he would talk the most to me. So I had asked him since I was a little girl. And we're walking like any other evening and there it is. Like a clap of thunder. And there I was in the ground. But I didn't feel it. And my dad is screaming like an animal. I'd never heard his voice like that, never have since. But I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it at all. And it was when I realized how much I couldn't feel. And that's when I got really scared. I hate you. Honesty is important, so I'll start there. I hate you, Joe Colley. I've hated you for years. Joe is trying not to break down as Lisa delivers these lines. Lisa continues. And the things that I've imagined doing to you, I want to hurt you. I want you to suffer. I want to make those noises. I want you to make those noises my dad made when he put his hands over the bullet hole in my spine. I want you to beg for my forgiveness so that I can tell you no. I want you to live in complete, absolute misery. So when I say this place is just like I pictured it, what I really mean, mean is that it's what I hoped it would be. Joe whispers, and I'm sorry, and Lisa, Lisa yells out, Damn right, you're sorry. You stole from me, not just who I was, but what I could have been. You stole from me things I didn't have yet. You reached through time, Joe Colley. You reached through time and you stole. All of that is true. And all of that is still in here. But that is not why I came here today. I came here today. I came here to today. I forgive you. This last line sends Joe over the edge. And he coughs back a sob. Lisa goes on as she walks towards Joe. I forgive you, Joe Colley. I forgive you and I see you now. I see you. And I'm still angry with you, but it's different. You want to know why it's different? Because the only thing standing between you and a better life is you. The only thing standing on my way was hate. The only thing standing on your way was you. Then she quotes from the Bible. Whoever is slow to anger is mighty. And he who rouses his spirit, then he who takes the city. And it's Proverbs 16.32. She asks if Joe knows what Proverbs is and, he, and if he knows what the book of Proverbs, if he knows that the book of Proverbs, 
Proverbs means wisdom and knowledge. So if God can forgive you and he says he can, then I can forgive you. And if I can forgive you, then that means that anyone can. Lisa walks out and Joe starts sobbing. Holy fucking shit, fucked up, fam. What a fucking performance. Look, I've always said you don't have to watch the show to listen to the podcast. But if you don't, if you haven't watched this show and if you haven't watched this episode, just go to this fucking confrontation. It is it is so good, like award worthy. So fucking good. I got all emotional right now and I was just reading it word for fucking word. So fucking good. Moving on cut to the school and there's like a teacher parent conference meeting type of thing happening uh beth keen is addressing the parents and aaron is also there beth assures the parents that they shouldn't be worried and how the curriculum will remain the same sharif sharif hassan uh tries to interrupt and tells her that respectfully that is not the issue but beth speaks over him and tells him that based on his religion she understands she understands why his son being interested in the bible uh, like, might be offensive, but, and the sheriff explains that he doesn't find it offensive, and again, Beth is speaking over him, rude, do they not teach you any fucking manners in the fucking church, am I right, and she continues and says, if he's interested in Jesus, why not allow him to learn a little bit, Sheriff Hassan again tells her that that is not the issue and how his son knows all about Jesus. And he also thanks Beth for giving them the opportunity to talk, talk things out. And Beth is like, well, I imagine he doesn't know all. And Sheriff Hassan responds that Muslims believe that Jesus is a prophet of God and that the Bible was revealed to him in the same manner that the Torah was revealed to Moses before that. He also says that Muslims love Jesus and the message that was revealed to him. Bev is like, oh, I guess we learn something new every day. Fuck you, Bev. Fucking cunt. I swear to God. Uh, but then Sheriff Hassan continues and he says, we also believe that after the time of Jesus, thanks to the interference of man, the message from the Bible was altered and how that is why there's so many versions of the Bible. Beth starts saying that this conversation is not relevant, but she gets a taste of her own fucking medicine, and the sheriff just keeps on talking about how the Quran is known as the final message from God revealed, never to be altered. Beth says, I don't think that this is a place to discuss where our beliefs about religion, scripture might diverge. And the sheriff responds, exactly. There it is. That's the issue. And that is why some of the people in this room, including myself, are a little concerned. See, Muslims encourage everyone to seek knowledge, so I'm more than comfortable with my son studying a Bible. Thrilled, actually. I've done it myself, but where I think there's an issue is that this is a public school. Exactly, public schools. That's the thing. And what is concerning for us is not the Bible, but that it was handed out distributed to the kids here i would just ask you to consider how you would feel if you send your child to a public school and they came home with the copy of the quran asking about the prophet muhammad you'd feel it was an issue if i went around and handed a copy of the quran to children of this to the children of this island purely in the interest of the pursuit of knowledge i'd expect you chase me out of town miss keen 
Erin notices the tension and she finally hops in and says that since this is a public school, she sides with the sheriff and how everyone in the room knows that she belongs to the same congregation as most of them, but that she disagrees with the reading of scripture in homeroom. Beth interrupts and lets Sheriff Hassan know that she would not run him out of town and it makes her sad to think to know that he thinks that of her. And then she goes, people of faith, any faith, but we're all from the same cloth, co cousins really. And it was never my intention to disrespect anybody, never in the least. It's just having a Bible present in the room. It's just a book, like, like a science or history book. Aaron interrupts and says how it's actually very different, but Miskeen just speaks louder again. Where are your fucking manners? She goes on. Kids can take them or leave them. Sure, I'm read an, ins an inspiring passage during homeroom from time to time, but I'm not evangelizing. I'm simply sharing my faith with the children in the hopes that they might be inspired. Then she goes on about how if they had a Muslim teacher and if he wanted or if she wanted or they wanted to quote from the Quran to the kids, that would be fine with that as long as the text wasn't offensive, which, forgive me for saying so, a good deal of that text can be at times. So she's basically disrespecting the fucking Quran in front of a Muslim person. But of course, no, no, that is not being offensive, not from religious fucking catholic lady oh sorry i'm really angry and this strikes a chord with the sheriff and you can tell but miss keen just tells him that this is not an attack on him or his beliefs but what she meant is that even the holy bible has passages that are not suitable for children and how she wouldn't read inappropriate sections from the bible aaron again tries to interject but miss keen just says and what is education if not providing a student with the option to learn are we going to burn books that we find even a bit controversial? And she also references the local current events, a.k.a. Lisa's miraculous recovery, and how those types of events beg further study on the subject, and how there's no point to avoid the elephant in the room because they're all living in miraculous times in Crockett Island. She also says that this community is in a full religious revival at the moment. And if the children of this community cannot discuss, discuss that in their local schools, she just doesn't know what is. And then some of the parents burst out clapping in agreement. Oh my God, this scene just makes me fucking hate Beth Keen. Like it makes my blood fucking boil. I fucking hate her. And hate is a strong word, but I'm using it. I'm fucking using it. Cut to Aaron and Riley walking, and Aaron is telling uh, Riley how she couldn't bear to stay in the same room with Beth Keen for one more second. She says that Bev is like this particular brand of self-righteousness that is exclusive to a certain breed of religious people. And Aaron says that she has never liked that, and she apologizes for ranting, and then she asks Riley how he's doing. He says that he's been having trouble approaching people directly with his amends and that Father Paul suggested writing letters. And he says that writing letters is hard and delivering them is even harder and that he's not looking forward to doing that. Then he stays quiet for a bit and then Riley tells Aaron that he did his fearless moral inventory and that he found out that he's a coward. And Aaron stops and says, don't do that. Don't talk about yourself like that. And if anyone else talked about you like that, I would kick their ass. 
And let me stop there for a second. If you're my friend and if I love you and if you ever talk about yourself that way, I will not stand for it. I will not stand for it because all the people that I love, all the people in my life are amazing individuals. And, okay, so, and I've done it too. You know, it's it's easy, it's easy to self-degradate. Degrade? Self-degrade. Not degradate. Take like three shots. It's easy to self-degrade and make it like a funny thing when you know that you actually do feel like that about yourself, but you would never do it, would never say it in a serious manner. So even playing around, do not self-degrade yourself. No, 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 no. How would you feel if your friend was talking about themselves like that? You wouldn't like that. So don't, don't do the same about yourself. Get it? Do you understand? Always talk to yourself kindly. Always treat yourself with the same love and the same respect that you would give to someone that you love. Capiche? Capiche. Okay. Um, Riley is like, oh yeah, you would be, you would beat that person that would talk bad about, uh, that would talk bad about me. And she's like, yeah, I would kick them just like this. And she playfully does the thing when you're walking like beside someone and you do do like a small sidekick to kick like their butt, but she ends up kicking the back of his leg. And he was like, that was actually my thigh. So then Aaron rephrases and says, oh well, I would kick their thighs. Cut to Sarah's house and she sees her mom, Mildred, standing by the window. And Sarah's like, mom, I'm going to have to tie you down. And, you know, because she keeps getting up and she has like a hip injury. And and Sarah just starts talking to herself because she knows her mom is like, you know, not good like health wise. And she's just like kind of like ranting to her own self. And then Mildred is like, where have I been? Somewhere, somewhere dark. But just now it's like I woke up and there you are, my beautiful. Mildred begins to cry, and then Sarah approaches her, and they hug. Mildred asks, as they are hugging, when did you move me into the living room? Cut to Riley walking into AA, and then he's shocked to see Joe already there with Father Paul, and Father Paul is happy that they're a trio now. Riley says hi to Joe, and Joe is like, so much for the anonymous part. (laughs) Joe then tells them that after, like, the Lisa story and after Lisa left, that he didn't even want to drink. That he did drink, but that he didn't really want to. And how he figured that what happened for for her happened at St. Patrick's, and that is why he's there with them today. Father Paul tells him that Lisa has forgiven him, and that after hearing his confession today, God has also forgiven him, and if he knows who that leaves. And Joe has a sad smile on his face and he just looks down and says that it's not as quick to forgive, that he is not as quick to forgive as Lisa and God. Father Paul asks Riley what he thinks, but Riley says that he's not in any position to be giving out advice about their drinking. But Father Paul calls bullshit, like he literally says that's bullshit. And how Riley has been coming to AA once a week, sometimes even more, and and if that is all he has to say. Father Paul asks if he remembers during their first AA session and how much he has changed, grown since then, and how there's something that Riley could say to Joe that Father Paul could never say because Riley and Joe both have this thing that links them together, alcohol, and their mistreatment of it, and how it ruined both of their lives. And Riley looks over to Joe and says, You showed up, Joe. You're here. That's enough. 
It won't be forever, but tonight it's everything. Cut to Joe and Riley helping put the chairs away, but Father Paul lets them know that he's got it from there, and both Riley and Joe leave. And right as they leave, Father Paul falls to the ground, and he, he begins having a horrible cough attack. Cut to Joe and Riley walking together, and Joe is talking shit on the Pruitt Recreation Center, and he says, what a fucking legacy, and how it should have been named Beth Keen's Money Laundering, better yet, Beth Keen's Con Laundry, or Beverly fucking Keen's Queen Evil Bitch Emporium Embezzlement or Rust Incorporated LL fucking C. <laughs> Joe and Riley laugh, and Joe tells Riley that he thought he would never step foot inside that recreation center, but being there with him and Father Paul under the circumstances and just having a deep conversation makes him think that life has some sort of purpose. And he just says that, that words to live by are never to assume. And Riley tells him that he's glad that Joe went to the AA meeting, and Joe is like, wow, you really are, huh? Joe tells Riley that the only person to ever give a damn about him was his sister and how she had left Crockett ages ago and that she never understood why he stayed. Riley is curious to know why he did stay and Joe tells him that he doesn't know but that it was just it just felt easy too easy to leave like he shouldn't be able to just leave after what he did. Joe confesses to Riley that his sister died a few weeks back and that she was buried in the mainland and how she didn't even want to come back to Crockett Island, even in death. Joe says, I wish I had gone to see her, made the effort, how he couldn't do it then, but how he thinks he could do it now. He chokes back a sob, and Riley just tells him that it fucking sucks. And then before Joe leaves, he turns and looks at Riley and asks, does it ever get any different for people like us? And Riley tells him that he doesn't think so because nothing around them changes and that maybe if they work really hard that they'll become different. Then maybe at least it feels different, but how he doesn't know. Joe reaches out his hand and shakes Riley's, Riley's hand and says, here's to becoming different people. And then they go their separate ways. Cut to Sharif uh, and Ali doing their night prayer and Ali is looking disinterested. Ali asks his dad if he can talk to him, and he tells his dad that he wants to go to St. Patrick's on Sunday just to check it out. The sheriff asks why, and Ali tells him that all the kids at their school go there. And the sheriff is like, not all of them, but Ali just tells him that he wants to see what it's all about. The sheriff tells him no and how he doesn't think it's a good idea, and Ali tells him that there's no reason for him not to go, and his dad is like, it's because you're not Christian. And Ali says, that wasn't up to me, was it? Ouch. Ali continues, none of this has been up to me. You didn't ask me if I wanted to be a Muslim. You didn't ask me if I wanted to move here. You never asked me about anything. You're the one who decided to become Muslim for mom. And you're the one that decided to move here because your precinct was too fucking racist and you just couldn't take it. Sheriff Hassan gets angry by this, but Ali just tells him that they're there now and these things are happening, these miraculous things. The sheriff tells him that Lisa's recovery, her misdiagnosis, is a compelling thing. And Ali tells him that he knows Lisa and that her case is a miracle. And the sheriff just tells his son that that isn't how a law works. He goes to sit right by his son and he asks, Do you know what it does? 
as he shifts the picture of his wife over, and he continues, What pancreatic cancer does to someone? Would you like me to tell you? Because I don't want to. Because I never, ever want you to know what she went through. I bear that for both of us. And that's right. She kept her faith. She honored him till the last moment. And if if God really worked that way, and he decided he was going to heal some people and not others, if he chose to spare some and not others, if he handed Lisa Scarborough a miracle but let a child die of a brain tumor across the way in the mainland, no, that's not how it works, Ali. That is not how God works. No matter how exciting the stories are at St. Patrick's or the Buddhist or Scientologists, it's not magic. It's not. The sheriff takes the photo of his wife and he hands it to Ali and tells him to kiss his mother goodnight and how they can talk about it more tomorrow if he would like. Sheriff Hassan goes to turn off the light and he sees a face and bright eyes by the windows and that startles him. But when he looks away, it's gone. Ali asks what happened and the sheriff just tells him that he's seeing things and tells him good night. Cut to the rectory and Beth is meeting with the mayor, Wade, and his wife, Dolly. And there's a handyman. I believe his name is Sturge. He was the one working at the dock the first episode and he's working on the kitchen sink. It seems like the whole town has bring has been bringing casseroles and dishes to uh, Father Paul because the fridge is full and the mayor says how Father Paul deserves it. Beth King wants to plan this church dinner and wants the help of the mayor and his wife to plan it and how they can give the big address at the end of it uh, given what Father Paul has done for them. Father Paul opens the door to the rectory, so he comes inside and he looks sickly. And then he just falls to the ground and he starts seizing and then blood starts coming out of his mouth. No one knows what to do. They're literally just watching this man die because he's choking on his own fucking blood. Wade calls out to him, but the Father Paul does not respond. And then Father Paul, he checks Father Paul's pulse and there's none. Wade starts saying how he does not understand, and then we get a close-up of Father Paul's eye, and we hear his voice as the screen goes dark. Darkness. It was darkness in those ruins. No light. Every step forward, a step into nothing. We're in the flashback of Monsignor Pruitt when he took shelter inside the cage, and he turns on a match, and inside the cave, he sees someone with bright eyes staring at him. He's startled by this, so he drops the match and then turns on another one, and he points it in the direction of where he had seen the eyes, but they're gone now. And then he turns around to face the other side, and he's hearing something whooshing around him, and he gets scared and drops the match again. He turns on a third match, and when he does, this man-like white pale thing with wings attacks him and feeds off of him through his neck. We hear Father Paul's voice again. How the Monsignor felt pain at first, but then the pain was just drained out of his body. We see the thing with wings pull away from Monsignor Pruitt, and the Monsignor is still alive, and he begins to pray. We see Father Paul in the confessional, and he calls that ugly-looking thing with wings an angel and mentions how it was so afraid. And then we see the so-called angel 
cut his own arm and blood starts falling out of the wound and he puts the blood from his wound in monsignor in the monsignor's mouth and then the monsignor starts drinking the quote-unquote angel's blood cut to monsignor pruitt waking up in the entrance of the cave and then we see that monsignor pruitt has now turned into a young version of himself aka father paul and then Father Paul turns around and sees those same glowing eyes that he had seen when it was dark staring back at him. And we notice how the angel is afraid of the light. Father Paul, still in the confessional, says that he knew that journey would be long, but that he knew where this angel was needed the most. So he traveled and then the angel would catch, catch up with him and fly towards where he was. Father Paul stands up and says how he knew he would have to lie to the very same people he was there to save so that their deal to save the dear souls of the island and to bring them God's love and his mercy and his miracles. Cut back to Father Paul dead in the floor of his of the rectory surrounded by Dolly, Wade, Bev and Sturge. And then he wakes up and startles everyone. Bev holds him and he calls it a miracle. And the mayor is like, what the fuck did I just witness? Dolly is just holding her chest. And then the camera zooms into an old newspaper clipping that showed the Monsignor as a young man. And guess who it looks like? Father Paul himself. End of episode. All right, let's get right to our segment, starting with that shit's traumatizing. Look, uh, this part, it's not something that I completely agree in uh, or agree with, and it's the concept of forgiveness. And we see this in uh, Lisa's confrontation of Joe. Lisa go to Joe, goes to Joe's like trailer home and confronts him for ch- shooting her. But I feel like she was not able to forgive him before because she was still in the wheelchair. But now that she's out of the wheelchair and she's walking, she feels that she has to forgive him in order to let go of all that hatred. I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's okay to not forgive. It's okay to not forgive and have forgiveness in your heart. I don't get what what's so bad about not forgiving people and holding grudges when there's a valid reason for you to hold that grudge or for you not to forgive someone. And I feel like the church, like, oh, no, like, uh, God will forgive you for all your sins, so you got to forgive other people too. No, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so fucking sorry. But I sometimes people, there are bad people in this fucking earth. And yes, maybe in the concept of the show, we know that Joe might not technically be a bad person. He has an addiction issue with with alcohol and and he might not be the best fucking human being. I mean, he won't get an award for it. And we talked about it. We get all these characters, these flawed characters and, you know, Mike Flanagan and the show uh, humanize them. But there are certain people that are horrible fucking people. And I don't want to, I don't need, I don't need a fucking backstory for me to know like, oh, they're bad, like their, their origin story that turned them into this evil human being. I don't give a fuck about that. I really, really don't. So for me, it's like, I don't have to forgive everyone. I don't think so. Look, 
I used to be the bitch that like held grudges. And now I don't feel like I'm that person anymore. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I forgive people. And I don't think uh, not forgiving people and holding grudges is the same thing. Uh, you want me to explain myself? No, I won't. <laughs> but that's just my, my point of view. Also, let me give you a really good example. And it also, from my personal life, well, not it didn't happen to me directly, but it's from my personal life, from my parents, and it involves the church. So when we moved, first moved to the United States, uh, my parents, to make friends and, like, to be closer to God, joined this church group uh, with other, like, uh, you know, couples. Uh, so they went and they would hang out and they would read passages from the Bible and have gatherings, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes they would tag us along and we would go to the gatherings. There was always food. Uh, met a lot of cute, not cute people. <laughs> I was a child. M made a lot of good friends. Well, not good. Made a lot of acquaintances. There you go. There you fucking go. Okay, everyone... Uh, you know, going off track. Everyone's always making fun of me for not having friends. But look... I have a lot of acquaintances and the people in my life that know that are my friends, they're my friends. And that's fine. I don't need a lot of friends. Who who uh, has, how has having a lot of friends ever benefited anyone? And if you have the answer, don't let me know. Let me, let me live in oblivion, okay? <laughs> okay, but going back to my story before I was very rudely interrupted by my own thoughts and my own um, undiagnosed ADHD. So... They were going there, and one time this, um, and I'm going to give a little trigger warning right now uh, for sexual assault. Uh, one time the conversation during one of their church gatherings came up and about like, oh, like, let's say the scenario and your daughter or, or someone in your family gets raped, uh, you have to forgive the rapist. And my mom was like set in her ways, and she's like, no absolutely fucking not if someone touches my daughters i would she literally said this in a church group she was like i would fucking kill that person well obviously not like in english but in spanish and everyone was like like so shocked and flabbergasted and everyone was like oh my god no but god teaches us forgiveness and blah 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 and you you can't have hatred in your heart and you know the typical church catholic bullshit right and uh, you know, my mom didn't butch. She knows. And, and believe me, if you know my mom, you know she is capable of murder for the people that she loves. Okay? So don't, again, do not, do not try me. Do not fucking try me. This is a warning. Going once, going twice. <laughs> but this was the thing. So whatever, the church group, the session finishes, they go home, and then the next day, they my parents get a call, and they were like, oh, please don't come back. <laughs> so they literally kicked out my parents out of a church group for not agreeing with the fact that they should forgive a rapist. Are you fucking kidding me? Look, that's why I have a lot of issues with the church. A lot of issues. And not with religion. Religion and the church is separate. Let's separate those motherfuckers. But Yes, uh, <laughs> I know I went off on a tangent, but this thing with the whole confrontation, I, if if it works for you, if forgiveness, if the act of forgiveness works for you, then I'm all, I'm all for it. But if it doesn't, that's cool too. But however, this scene, holy shit, man. 
holy fucking shit the guts that it took lisa to go and knock on the door of the man that shot her yes maybe it was an accident I feel like you could see how Joe, the guilt is literally killing him. He's drinking his life away because of the fucking guilt. Uh, but, oh my God, she was so brave for going there by herself. She probably didn't even tell anyone. She was just, you know, sh she did it for herself. And I respect it again. If you're doing it for yourself, if you need it, that's fine. But don't do it for God. Um this scene this is one of the scenes if you haven't seen the show go watch this scene right now oh holy fucking shit it's so powerful and you know if you listen to my first season uh joe is played by mr dudley um so just seeing him in this character and taking in those words and she's like i forgive you joe collie and him just bursting out like crying that because he probably never thought he would hear those words you know and when she says that you are the only person that is holding yourself back holy shit holy fucking shit like a knife in my heart in my tiny little heart <laughs> but honestly yeah shout out to to my girl lisa scarborough uh to my walking girl <laughs> Uh, but dude, yeah, this, that scene traumatized me, traumatized me. And, and when I was doing the retelling of it, you could tell like my, my voice broke, uh, you know, I got a little teary eyed. I was like, fuck that hit. And I, and I've already seen this scene before. Like I've already, this is my second time watching the TV show. So, you know, it's good when you're still breaking down, but also I'm a cry baby. Uh, I welcome crying. I cherish it. And I think it's a, it's, it's definitely an experience for me. Uh, therapeutic experience crying. Sometimes you just need to cry it out. Sometimes you just need to cry it out. Uh, let's, let's do a group crying session. Y'all down? Uh, I'll, I'll send the, the invite. Uh, just <laughs> All right. Um, so Joe revealing to to Riley that his sister was the only person that cared about him. Oh. Uh, and then, he, okay, going back to the concept of feeling guilty and stuff like that. When Riley asks Joe why he's still in Crockett Island and Joe, Joe were just revealing that he felt like it was going to be an easy way out for him to just leave. So he's in, in, in that way. He could have left. He could have gone, been with his sister, done all these other things. But his own guilt, it is the thing that's holding him back. Because he doesn't think he deserves better than the fucking plate he was served. He doesn't think he deserves better than being the fucking town piranha. Piranha? Piranha. I don't know. Take a shot. Whatever. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's why he is still there living that life probably as his self-punishment for what he did to Lisa. Oh, my God. It broke my heart. And then that he wasn't able to go to his sister's funeral. And, oh, <laughs> I can't. I really, really can't. Also, uh, let's see. Uh, the last scene, uh, Monsignor Pruitt being attacked by something in a cave. Look, that's why I don't go camping. That's why I don't go exploring. I don't like the outdoors. 
uh, so I've been I I be swiping through the dating apps, dudes, and I be like, all these guys have all these pictures of them like outside and hiking and and being active, and I'm like, no, no, like, <laughs> why would you subject yourself to that? Why would you subject yourself? Uh, to being the subject of a horror movie, to being the protagonist of a horror movie. No, no, no. I've seen way too many horror movies or heard from them because of the Ruined podcast. Uh, a lot of bad shit happens out in the woods. A lot of out shit happens in caves. Um, yeah, I don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to the the holy ground. You might run into one of these motherfuckers and they're not cute. They aren't cute angels. You know how and like, I don't know if y'all know, but in the Bible, angels are depicted as like holy, like beautiful and holy beings or whatever. Well, if I remember correctly, I haven't. I I honestly don't know. Don't trust anything I say. <laughs> but I feel like in my imagination, angels are like these holy beings and they're beautiful and they radiate positivity and light and and amazingness and then you see this fucking shit and you're like that's an angel bro that is not an angel that's like a mixture of voldemort with the uh, fucking what's his name from lord of the rings what's his fucking name you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about uh oh oh my god you know a mixture a mixture between voldemort and that that creature from lord of the rings like the the my precious you know <laughs> i'm fucking delusional right now i am literally delusional all right but let's move on to that shit's heartwarming starting with mildred kind of like snapping out of her like dementia her senile state and like looking at her daughter for the first time and just seeing just saying where have I been? It's been dark for so long. And then like hugging her daughter and telling her that it's her daughter who she loves. Ah, oh, my tiny little heart. It's, it's, it's bursting with joy. I love these scenes. You know me. I love a complicated family dynamic. And I feel when your parents get to that age where you have to take care of them, it does become a complicated family dynamic because you've seen this woman, this strong woman that has looked after you all your life and then the roles are reversed. And obviously it's hard. Even for Sarah, who she's a doctor, but she has to take care of her mom by herself and her mom like finally like recognizing her and like, being senile not being senile wait what's senile <laughs> am i using the word correctly uh a senile anton antonym what's the opposite the pr in the prime of life uh okay google i feel like there should be an antonym for senile okay but like no but mildred is not in her prime of life right now but you, you know what i get like just it was such a beautiful and, of course, that's moment. And that's why it, it made its way to the our, our segment or that shit's heartwarming segment. Uh, let's go. Joe going to AA. Uh, and him saying that, you know, that he didn't want to drink after Lisa left. And he's like, oh, but I did. <laughs> but I still did. Because, I mean, it's like out of habit, right, at that point. But he's like... If this miracle could happen for Lisa at St. Patrick's, then maybe something good can happen to me too. 
just him taking that step of like trying to better himself oh i love it i i i love it a character development arc and you know i'm wishing that and more for joe because i feel like he's already suffered so much and again like father paul asked him like you know lisa has forgiven you god has forgiven you or the church or me i've i've absolved you of your sin who's left and and you know the person that's left is not as easy to forgive and him talking about himself oh my heart also joe and riley bonding over their hatred of bev keen i love i love hating the same person together i feel like more people should hate other people i feel like you bond over that and just like like the names that they came up with for the rec center like bev keen's money laundering or bev keen's fucking llc or whatever <laughs> so good i love it i love seeing these moments of levity between these two very um i don't know if dark is the word but like maybe dark characters or dark energy characters both of them well i mean riley moore killed someone and then joe wounded someone because of their drinking so they not only do they have their their addiction in common but they have also this hatred and like joe just telling just like i mean riley just telling joe that he's really happy that he showed up and like that he really really means it and joe is like you do mean that huh and riley's like yeah ah uh, <laughs> uh, yeah I think I think that is it for our sec or that shit's traumatizing and our that shit's heartwarming segment. Moving on to our Savage of the Week award, and I know I think you know who it goes with after that fucking amazing monologue, Lisa motherfucking Scarborough. This girl, this child, she's a child, she's a teenager, but she's still a child. She had the guts to stand up to the man that wounded her. That takes guts, and you got to recognize uh, respect. You got to give respect where respect is due. And Lisa, my goodness, mwah, chef's kiss. This actress also amazing. Um, yeah, she, she gets the award this week. It, it's her. No competition whatsoever. None at all. At fucking all. And also, I did, before we end the episode, I did want to point out some similarities between um, our first season, Haunting of Hill House and Midnight Mass. Again, two Mike Flanagan projects. And I feel like there's always going to be some sprinkles in there of, like, stuff that they're pulling from, like, other shows. But uh, Lisa saying that when she's giving her church monologue to Joe, uh, she says that she couldn't see that she was in the dark and that she couldn't feel. And this is very, very similar to Theo's monologue uh, to Shirley in The Haunting of Hill House when she's explaining herself for, for attempting to kiss her husband. That she was in the dark and she in the dark and she couldn't feel and like you know uh so that what that also was very very similar and i think someone else says that same thing that they were in the dark but i don't remember oh mildred also says that she was in the dark for so long so it was sprinkled in haunting of hill house uh references sprinkled into this episode not once but twice 
And I think that's all I have to say. We have gotten to the end of the episode. Uh, you already know the di- the the deal, not the dill, <laughs> the dill pickle. Yeah, just <laughs> you already know the deal. Follow the podcast on social media on Instagram, where that show effed me up. F is spelled E F F E D on Twitter, where that D A T show fuck me up. Fucked is spelled without a U, so F C K E D. Give the podcast a five star review on both Apple Podcast and Spotify. Uh, the reviews help the podcast get more uh, people to listen to it. So you know, if you, you want other people to laugh and listen to me and think I'm cool and funny and pretty, then maybe just go. I mean, it doesn't take more than a second, no, like 30 seconds for you to like go into your little uh, podcast app or go into your little Spotify app, look up my podcast, which is probably already going to be there because you listen to me weekly, of course you do, and then just give a five stars and maybe add a nice little comment about how much you love me or something or how much um you think I'm funny or you think I'm sexy or anything. I don't care what you put. Just give me the five star review. All right. All right. Thank you. Just kidding. But yeah, uh, but yes, thank you so much for listening. Y'all are the coolest. And remember, be gentle, be kind, and don't be an asshole unless you absolutely have to be. Goodbye.